Unwritten contains mature language, content, and themes. Please listen with care. It is night. Under the light of one lamp, a man sits in front of an array of face-down tarot cards. Beside the cards rests a box of empty syringes and a medicine vial of clear liquid. The man flips over a tarot card. The moon card. At the top of the card, a globe-sized moon casts an ethereal light over a forest. At the forefront of the forest, mushrooms suck up their nutrients from the dead around them. Amongst the fungi stands a human figure. The figure fixes its gaze at its right hand, which holds a mask. In its other hand, forgotten, beats a heart. The man nods grimly and pulls a syringe from the box. Got it all. It's just unwritten, not putting it off. Just trying to figure it out. If what I say comes to fruition, with these words I can't play around. Walking on wire without a net, ending up alone. It hasn't happened yet. Dayton Writers Movement presents Unwritten, starring Luna Madison, Jordan Lopez, David Senator, and I'm Sean Gunther. Season 2, Episode 8, Woman Alone with Herself, written by Anna Adamy, directed by Chris Burnside. Also starring Aaron Eckhout-Lopez, Hope Azell, Aaron Ryan, Nick Bellmeyer, Sarah Amar, Adrian Miller, Stephen Kallenberg, and Jenny Hawley. Chet Nelson, airing now from the campus neighborhood where a student house is reportedly, and as you can see, literally, caught on fire. Police are currently investigating the initial source of the flame. Chelsea and Gerald watch the scene in front of them. The air smells like campfire, but no one sings kumbaya. Lights flash a dramatic red and blue onto groups of students, police officers, and firefighters. On the ground, remnants of the rally lay forgotten. One discarded poster reads... Being gay isn't a choice. Hate is. This wasn't an isolated incident. You're right. This is escalating. But with the press here already, I'm concerned this can't keep happening. Such negative publicity is nearly impossible to mitigate. I'm not concerned about the press. I'm concerned for the students. Someone is targeting them. Someone is attacking them. There's no way to twist this story favorably. Gerald surveys the scene, not listening to Chelsea. This could affect enrollment and retention. The board will not be pleased. Sure, but right now, our students are affected. They're hurt and scared. And 
Pissed, probably. What's your plan, Mr. President? We can't let this keep happening. For now, we appease the situation. I'll talk with the press and the police. Then we'll need to think of something. An outward sign of support. Oh, like a rally? Our students need more than outward signs at this point. They need guaranteed safety. We'll figure something out. Just keep those students away from the reporters. Gerald pats Chelsea on the shoulder as he saunters toward the police. Chelsea shudders at his touch and stands alone. Sarah and Elaine sit on the back of an ambulance with Maggie. Maggie is covered with a blanket. She's coughing, but otherwise uninjured. Did you already talk to the cops? Yeah. God, Maggie, I'm so sorry this happened. Me too. Thanks. I can't believe anyone would do this. I can, unfortunately. It must take such an all-consuming hate. This isn't subconscious bigotry. This is blatant cruelty. Welcome to Earth, Traveler. Let me show you around my life. Where could such extreme hate possibly be rooted? I don't think there's an excuse for it, Elaine. Roots don't matter. Some actions can't be explained away, or shouldn't be. It'd be nice to think every asshole has daddy issues, or that every homophobe is secretly gay, or bi. Definitely suppressing same-sex desires, and oh-so-tortured. The truth of the matter is, some people just suck. Chelsea approaches the group of women. She's in mission mode. Maggie, how are you? Are you all right? I'm fine. Of course you're not. Well, considering the circumstances. Were you the only one in the house? Yeah. Ran home for my camera. I wanted footage of the turnout. <sighs> Ironic now. Let's get you away from this mess. Somewhere safe. I want to talk to everyone. Where's safe? Chelsea, maybe your office? Ideally, yes. My office would be safe. But alas. Chelsea eyes Gerald. How about the Women's Center? It's pretty isolated. Great idea. I'll meet you in the conference room. A group of students sit around a table in the Women's Center. The conference room is in the basement. The overhead fluorescent light is flickering, but a couple of dated lamps provide a warmer glow. On the wall hangs a peeling portrait of the Greek goddess Aphrodite, who lies on her side, hand outstretched to the sky. Behind her is the sea. Next to the painting is a round clock. The hour hand is stuck on six. An electric teapot sits on a cart in the corner. Sarah fills it with water. Elaine stands beside her, looking at a loss for how to help. The students sit in suffocating silence. Riley straightens his back. He slams his hands dramatically on the table. Why is a raven like a writing desk? Maggie throws a pencil at him. Rye, not the time. We got green tea, Earl Grey, or peach mango. Any takers? Peach mango? Girl, sounds like a hammock on the beach. Mm-hmm. I could use a beach. Our skies are Earl Grey, honey. The Midwest doom and gloom. Also, the smoke from a house fire. Remind me why we live here? Riley moves toward the tea cart. He stops abruptly on his way and turns back to Maggie. He hugs her fiercely. Maggie fights off a smile and simultaneously chokes back tears. The result sounds like a half-laugh, half-cry. <laughs> Get off me, perv. I'm glad you didn't die in the flames. Were you scared? Maggie shakes Riley off. He sits beside her, having forgotten about the tea. The other students turn their attention to Maggie. The stomach of the room has a knot in it. Not scared, maybe. More like stunned? I'm upstairs looking for my camera. I hear the front door open. I assume it's one of you. Damn it. Why did I leave the door unlocked? Idiot, idiot, idiot. 
We always leave the door unlocked. It's not your fault. No, I think in this situation, it's still my fault. Not your fault. Regardless, I hear a crash from downstairs. <laughs> and that wasn't a sign to get the fuck out? Do you not realize we live with animals? Literal heathens. And let's be honest. We always are. Bev most likely spiked her orange juice with vodka. Rally, party. To her, these words are synonymous. True. So I smell the smoke. And my immediate thought is, great. Bev's put a foil wrap burrito in the microwave again. Valid, yes. So I run downstairs and I'm yelling at her and the smell of fire is getting stronger. And I get downstairs and there's no Bev, there's no burrito, and our couch is in flames. The curtains too. I love those curtains. Everything was going up so fast. I thought for a second, well, this is it. I'm next. But stop, drop, and roll kicked in and I hightailed it out of there. But my camera... Do not tell me you ran back into a burning house for a camera. Don't be ridiculous. I called 911. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. You have a brain. I'm in mourning. I've lost a limb. How are we going to replace all of our stuff? We'll start a fundraiser page. Go fund the gays. I'm sure we'll get an overwhelming wave of support. Along with a tsunami of hate. You win some, you lose some. They listen to the clock, try and fail to tick. Maggie accepts a cup of tea from Sarah. She wraps her hands around the mug. She stares at the steam from the tea. Riley stares at his hands. Fire caught fast. Well, the walls are wood. You should have seen the reaction at the rally. Direct view of the house from the Union, right? But the house is too far away for anyone to do anything, and none of us see the fire at first. We're all just chanting about love. Love, love, love. Like a broken fucking Beatles record or something. And in the end, madness. Queen of Hearts chops off our heads, though we haven't committed a crime. You're a bad hand of cards. You minimize our very being to luck. Maggie shrugs. It makes me less pissed that someone lit our house on fire. The air conditioning unit kicks on with a loud bang. The students jump. Maggie's hands are shaking. She sips her tea and burns her tongue. She sets the cup down a little too forcefully. Tea splashes out. What the fuck is wrong with people? Riley puts his head in his hand and sighs. The age-old question, where would you like me to begin? Is there a beginning? Well, if we go with your Christian narrative, because everyone loves going with the Christian narrative. Why are you hating on the Christian narrative? Cool your jets, Miss Church on Sunday. I'm going somewhere with this. Riley sits up straight and adopts a prophetic expression. <clears throat> and in the beginning, God created male and female and blessed them. Riley thrusts his fist in the air. But curse was the man who wanted to bone other men. And curse was the woman who didn't thank Adam for putting his rib in her body. No blessings for them. Only hellfire. Because queers are the spawn of Satan, obviously. You find joy in squirting my faith. Not your faith. Just gendered ideologies. Elaine sits in a chair in the corner with her hands tucked between her crossed legs. She stares at the painting of Aphrodite. Aphrodite yawns, stretches, rolls onto her stomach and winks at Elaine. The Greeks tell the human origin story differently. Elaine zones out from Maggie and Riley. In the beginning, there was empty, vast darkness. Nothing more, save for one bird with black wings. Oh, we must talk to Poe. Aphrodite smiles. Riley slams his hands on the table again. Maggie's teacup jolts. The raven in the writing desk? Have you answered the riddle? Enough with the Mad Hatter. Humor might be your defense mechanism, but right now I just want to break something. Elaine looks back to Aphrodite and the darkness of the beginning. The bird laid a golden egg. When the egg hatched, 
Out rose Eros, the god of love. Half of the eggshell became sky, the other half earth. Eros made earth and sky fall in love. The door to the conference room swings open. Chelsea walks in, with a few more students behind her. Don't you see? In the beginning, there was love. Not mortal love, no. Love has always been more than mortal. This love was universal, astrological, gravitational. Hello, lovers. The students quiet and look to Chelsea. Aphrodite resumes her original position. How's everyone holding up? Some students shrug, some sigh, some scowl. All shake their heads and wait for Chelsea to continue. Chelsea's eyes are charcoal burning, but her smile is marshmallow sweet. Yeah, I figured. So here's the deal. I know you're all scared, because I am too. I know you're all angry, so am I. But we're in this together. Have you heard anything from the cops? Not yet. The dean is speaking to them. Sarah winces. Elaine wraps her arms closer to her chest. Chelsea returns to addressing the students. I will do everything in my power to put a stop to these hate crimes. I'll talk to the campus police as soon as possible to discuss what measures must be taken to ensure your safety. If the police can't hunt down who's doing this, I will. In the meantime, be careful. Stick together. Don't walk alone at night. Same old drill. I know. I know it's unfair, but if anyone else gets hurt, well, I couldn't take that, okay? Stay here as long as you'd like. I'm on my way to talk to housing. We need to figure out a safe living situation for the Advocacy House folks. Thanks for your help, Miss Wu. Thanks for being a soldier, Maggie. Elaine looks at Aphrodite again. Aphrodite combs a scallop shell through her hair. Have you ever been persecuted for who you want to love? Anyone have other questions? Do you even know who you want to love? Elaine looks away from Aphrodite and into her hands. Elaine, come help me. Yeah. Elaine gets up from her spot in the corner. Some of the students turn to look at her. Elaine blushes and follows Chelsea out the door and into the hallway. I want you to write about this. I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? I thought your goal with the blog was to write about these things. Why the second thoughts? Well, the situation is so delicate. I don't know these students. I want to respect their privacy. I don't want to turn their tragedy into my story. Don't be ridiculous. Elaine, I need you. Gerald's already brown-nosing the press. Someone needs to write the truth about this. You're the only one I trust to do it right. Elaine reaches in her back pocket for her phone. Caller ID reads, The Mother. Sorry. Elaine clicks the green dot. Mom? Chelsea hears a muddled huff of words from Sue. Do you think there's something wrong? Mom? Mom, you're cutting off. Look, I'm sure Aunt Ellen's fine. I can't hear you. I'll call you back. Bye. Elaine hangs up the phone. Her brow is furrowed. I lost service. Sorry, Chels. I gotta go take care of this. But I need you. I'm really sorry. I'll see you tonight. Elaine leaves in a hurry. Chelsea clenches her teeth and turns back to the room of students. The next day, Chelsea stands in front of Dr. Lemon's door. She sniffs her armpit. She winces. She digs through her bag looking for deodorant. 
or at least body spray. All she finds is a small bottle of spearmint breath spray. She squirts it under her arms, slaps her hands on her cheeks, then knocks on the door. Dr. Lemon lets her in. I can't stay long. I figured as much. You're handling a lot right now. I'd use the term handling loosely. More like rapidly disintegrating under the stress of a world that I'd like to still believe has more good people than bad. That's very understandable. I've dealt with my share of hate. Don't get me wrong. I'm not oblivious to this stuff. In the eighth grade, my group of friends got so spooked by my gayness, they orchestrated an informal lunch meeting to tell me it was probably best I sat at the boys' table. Kids, they can be so cruel. In the tenth grade, a boy called me a filthy fag after I refused to kiss him. But this, this is different, and I'm not equipped to deal with it. I wouldn't sell yourself short. I can't think of anyone more equipped than you. You know your students. You know this school. You are smart and savvy and extremely empathetic. That's just it, though. Me. That's all I've got. Myself. Hordes of people are relying on me. People I care about. And there's only so much I can do. Do you have any support systems to lean on? Have you been reaching out to your friends? The thing with always being the pillar? No one expects you to fall. What about Elaine? Elaine's just clueless. I know she cares about you. Sure, but friendships are like ecosystems. They're balanced a certain way. Make a change and the whole world shifts. In our ecosystem, Elaine talks, I listen. Elaine needs, I give. But friendships should be reciprocal. I know we've talked about this before. Maybe you should open up to her. Tell her what you're going through. Ask for some support. You've been planning to do that for a while. Hmm, speak of the devil. Dr. Lemon nods that Chelsea should answer the phone. What's up? Hey, I stopped by your office. The girl from the fire is here. Maggie? She wants to talk to you. I'll be right there. Wait for me? Um... You can wait outside if Mr. Despicable is gerrymandering around. I'll meet you by that cypress tree out front. Chelsea hangs up. Now is certainly not the best time, but you should not put this off forever. You will always find excuses to not tell Elaine how you feel. If no time is the right time, then any time might do. Elaine sits by a cypress tree in front of Chelsea's office building. She twirls a pen, but doesn't pull out paper. Aphrodite lounges beside her, stark naked and seductively plucking grapes off a vine and popping them into her cherry-lipped mouth. Would you stop that? Am I making you uncomfortable? Why are you always in the nude? Our bodies are natural and beautiful, Elaine. But this is the 20th century, and here we wear clothes. Are you comfortable with your body? Sure. Are you comfortable with your sexuality? Elaine scrunches her nose. She twirls her pen faster. I don't know what you mean by that. Aphrodite caresses the grass with her hand. Wild lilies bloom on the trail of her fingertips. Elaine changes the subject. I don't even know if I should be writing about this. Having the choice of whether or not you care is a luxury. That's true, but I don't know where to start. I talked to Poe. I tried to understand what's behind all this. Like, who could do such evil things? But I have no clarity. If I can't understand the motivation behind such extreme prejudice, such pointed violence, how can I do anything to fix it? I can't even figure out how to write about the fire. So don't write about the fire. I promised Chelsea. Write about the people. 
Write about those affected by the fire. Don't write about the hate. Write about the love. Elaine nods slowly. She stops twirling her pen. That'd be better for the readers, probably. More hopeful, more real, and meaningful, I think. Might also save me from plummeting into the dark depths of middle school poet nihilism. Do you not feel the sun? Just think, Elaine, the very center of the solar system right at this moment is licking your skin. You are being kissed by the brightest star. Why be preoccupied by any sort of darkness? Let's rewind to your origin story. Mm-hmm. In the beginning, there was darkness. Yes. Maybe that's true with people, too. Maybe the selfishness and the hate and the hurting are natural. Maybe kindness is learned. Or survival or something. So we don't all kill each other. Oh, my dove, no. You must interpret the story differently. Before love, there was darkness. With love, there was life. Elaine sees Chelsea power-walking to the cypress tree. In the place of Aphrodite is a mound of flowers. Is Maggie inside? Chelsea starts to beeline for the building's door. Elaine doesn't follow. Chelsea turns back to her. Aren't you coming? Well, she doesn't want to talk with me. You're the writer, remember? You need to know the whole story. I don't want to intrude. Isn't it more of an intrusion to write about people you've never talked to? Moments later, Elaine, Chelsea, and Maggie sit in Chelsea's office. Maggie, do you mind if Elaine shares some of your story? She's writing a post for her blog. I'm hoping she can bring some real voices and experiences about this mess into the media pool. I don't know about you, but I'm sick of the new sharks writing us as victims. I didn't know you were the blog writer. I loved what you wrote before the rally. We had a great turnout. We owe a lot of that to you. It's mostly because Madison Kepler keeps sharing my articles, but I'm glad I could help. It's cool if you stay. Ask me whatever you need. Just don't write about this sociopath with any empathy. Maybe our enemy here isn't just one sociopath. We could be dealing with a group. I don't think a group is behind this. But one diabolical villain? Seems so DC Comics. I went back to the house. I found my camera. Really? That's awesome! That thing is practically your child. Did it survive the fire? I found it in the mailbox. I don't understand. I think the sick perp was in our house before the fire. He stole my camera. He recorded this. Maggie pulls her camera out of her backpack. She flips it on and points the screen toward Chelsea. Chelsea waves at Elaine to come look too. A recording plays. The camera is pointed at a couch draped with a rainbow-striped blanket. A masked figure walks out from behind the camera, carrying a knife. The figure's physique appears to be male. His back is to the camera. He punches the knife into the couch cushion and slices a crude version of the three-sword symbol. Why? Scare tactic. As if the fire wasn't enough. He could have been in our house when we were all there. When we were sleeping. He wants us to feel the threat of his power everywhere. Even from the comfort of our homes. On the tiny screen, the masked figure pours a yellow bottle of lighter fluid over the couch and onto the blanket. He holds up the blanket and reaches into his pocket. The girls jump. Gerald opens the door before receiving an invitation. Miss Wu? Miss Harper? What are you working on in here? We've just been talking with Maggie. Is this regarding the... incident? You mean the hate crime. What isn't regarding the hate crimes these days? All meetings about the incidents must be administered by a university representative, 
someone trained in responding to this kind of disturbance. I am literally a university representative trained in responding to hate crimes. Someone with more seniority. Maggie just wanted to talk with me. Mentor to student. She's going through a lot. I'm sorry to hear about that, Maggie. But I'm afraid Miss Wu is not an appropriate university representative. Unfortunately, she is not authorized to speak on this matter. Dean Wagner, please be reasonable. If you wouldn't mind coming with me, Maggie, we can speak directly. Elaine sits up to attention. She watches Aphrodite step in front of Gerald. This man oozes the same ungrounded entitlement as Zeus. I don't trust him alone with a woman. Actually, I need to get to class. I'm late. I'll walk you out. Silently, without moving a face muscle, Elaine looks at Chelsea. Chelsea nods in affirmation. Maggie and Elaine brush past Gerald. He remains in Chelsea's doorway. We need to make sure we're abiding by protocol. I'm sure you understand. Yeah, sure. Chelsea sits as still as a marble statue. Gerald wraps his knuckles on the doorframe twice, then hums back down the hall. In Chelsea's apartment, Aphrodite reads through Elaine's attempt at a blog and yawns. What's it missing? Sexual tension. Who are you, another Freud? I'm not writing an HBO show here. Not everything's about sex. Yet it's on your mind. Don't go putting words into my mind. You're confused. Well, maybe I don't feel things like other people do. Perhaps you haven't had enough experience. Advice from the epitome of a sex symbol? Did you ever want the experience? Sorry I called you a sex symbol. The experience, though. I don't know. I don't know what I want. That's the thing. I mean, I wish I could understand it. Understand what? Like you, for example. Me? Aries, Anchises, Poseidon, Dionysus, so many others. Both men and gods. Do you love them all? Do you just have some insatiable sexual yearning? I do love sex. Exactly. The game of love and lust changes even the hues I see the world in. See, I don't get that. I don't feel that tension or excitement or whatever that is everyone else feels. Gay, straight, trans... It feels like everyone has clear feelings and desires, and I... Well, I just don't have feelings either way. So you feel something's wrong with you? Aphrodite lounges on the couch. You remind me of Athena. Great. The virgin goddess. I'll add that to my byline. Her virginity is irrelevant. She's the goddess of wisdom and war. If I am the symbol of sex, she is the symbol of heroics. Love is also heroic. Ah, and perhaps that's what you should write. All lovers are heroes, but the persecuted lovers? They must be braver than most. They have no choice in the matter. They have to fight in so many ways for their love. A text from Chelsea. Can't stop thinking about that video. Elaine slumps back onto the couch. I don't know what to do. The words will come. And maybe your desires, too. Sexuality cannot be divined or plotted. Horoscopes? Garbage. The magic of love is in its... unpredictability. 
One day, a still sky. The next, a storm of showering meteors. I wish there was a gathering place for the sexually apathetic. We'd have so much to discuss. More texts from Chelsea. I need to get out of this office. We need to find this guy. Where do we start? Aphrodite reads the messages over Elaine's shoulder. Where would the creature lurk? I haven't the slightest idea. Is there a gathering place for his kind? I don't know. The underworld? I could get in touch with Hades. I'll send Hermes. He owes me a favor. Wait. You have the look of Athena plotting for war. I am telling you, the resemblance is striking. I don't know where he'd be, but I know where the most abundant supply of his targets would be. Elaine texts Chelsea. Splendor. Elaine and Chelsea sit at the bar in Splendor. Chelsea throws back a shot of whiskey. How will we recognize him? Search for a masked figure? Maybe this wasn't the best idea. It's the best bet we've got at the moment. Please send my gratitude to the sick, twisted mind of Miss Elaine Harper. He's probably not here. Seems too obvious. Here, take my keys. You're a safer driver than me, even when I'm sober. I'll do some recon. Chelsea leaves Elaine at the bar. Aphrodite takes Chelsea's seat. I like this place. Because you can smell the pheromones. Look at the pretty people dancing. Let's join them. I'm holding down the fort. This isn't a battleground, Elaine. This is a party. Dancing. With a chance of meteor showers. Aphrodite stands tall, beams, and gazes at the crowd. Brian, a man about Elaine's age, approaches the bar. He slides into the seat next to Elaine and tries to get the bartender's attention. The bartender is distracted by her phone. Brian turns to Elaine. What's the protocol here? Do I snap, whistle, or wait for her to finish her text? Depends. Do you want her to spit in your drink? Ah, smart. I'll wait. Hmm, he's handsome for a mortal. You should talk to him. A little wink, a well-timed smile. You could get his number, or at least some entertainment. Elaine tries to see what Aphrodite does. She notices the boy's lean arms. His face is angular, but not aggressively so. His skin is milky, and his hair is buzz cut. He folds his hands together. So, come here often? I'm not sure if that's the best or worst way to start a conversation. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. Charles Dickens? Two cities and the tale thereof. I do come here often to answer your question. Against my better judgment, usually. Yeah? It's a friend's favorite. Ah. And where's your friend tonight? She's around here somewhere. So, against your better judgment, you said? Are you not gay? Bars aren't my scene. Brian eyes Elaine's ginger ale. Not into booze? Not into people. Am I people? I haven't decided. I'll take it. He holds out his hand in introduction. Elaine looks at his hand. Aphrodite nods encouragingly. Elaine shakes his hand. Brian. Elaine. So are you a Dickens fan? I recognize the importance of his work writing poor people into real humans with virtues. But I find his narrative style exasperating. Ah, uh, you have great expectations. 
Well, I don't think so necessarily. It, it was a pun. Oh, right. A novel. Great expectations. But Elaine, you do have great expectations. In books, in life, and in love. I wrote a paper on that book once. Oh, so you're a student? What are you studying? Was studying philosophy. I'm a grad school dropout. You two have so much in common. I dropped out there for a bit too. For real? Yeah, I was just tired of the whole system of it. <laughs> Cheers to that. Elaine raises her ginger ale. With the bartender still texting, Brian raises an imaginary drink. The school's been changing. It's not the same as it was five years ago. And it's definitely not the same as it was when my parents went. The changes are about to get even worse with the new administration. Are you referring to that Wagner guy becoming president? Is there anything more appalling? Yeah, I'm not a fan of him. Seems like a phony to me. He's always blabbing about diversity and increased equality. I don't buy it. Diversity didn't get him where he is. Exactly. And honestly, I didn't really feel supported academically at that school. I could understand that. Or financially, really. Scholarships don't exactly go to people like me. I worked my ass off as an undergrad, but didn't get much appreciation for it. What do you do now? To pay the bills? Odd jobs. But I'm still studying. I'm determined to get the education I want, even without the institution. I live right across from a bookstore, so that's pretty much my school. A sexy, mysterious book boy? Elaine, perhaps this is your type. Is it the rereads off of 4th? The one with the antique armchairs? And the beagle out front? Yeah! That's the one. What's up with the dog? Well, the owner found it, fed it, and then couldn't get rid of it. The bartender approaches the two. You want a drink? Hit my ginger ale limit. What's your plan, then? Want to get out of here? We could get coffee, tea. There's a diner down the road with amazing French toast. I should probably wait for my friend. You said you're not a couple, right? I'm sure she'd understand. It's just egg-battered bread, dash of cinnamon. You've come this far. Why not see where it goes? Thank you for the offer, Brian. I... You're very nice, but I'm not quite ready for... French toast. Maybe another time. Yeah. That's cool. Maybe I'll see you around. Brian orders a drink, pays, and walks into the crowd. Elaine breathes heavily as soon as he leaves. Baby steps, then. At least you had an entire conversation. I feel nauseous. Is this how flirting feels? Oh, my dear, you weren't really flirting. I need to use the bathroom. Splash some water on your face and take a deep breath. You'll be fine. Elaine washes her hands in the bathroom. Aphrodite uses the mirror to pin back her curls. Do you like him? I don't know. We need to work on some more definite answers, either affirmative or negative. I mean, he seems smart. He was good-looking, objectively. I thought he was interesting. But? But I don't really know anything about him. Are you attracted to him? I don't even know what that means. You should talk to him more. Give him a chance to surprise you. I've talked too much already. It's been a long week. I'm tired. The fun is just getting started. I think I'm gonna go home. 
You're overthinking. I know. I'm always overthinking. Overthinking is my most incessant character flaw. Elaine leaves the bathroom. Aphrodite floats behind her. The dance floor is packed. Chelsea is in the middle of it. Aphrodite scans the club looking for Brian but doesn't see him. Elaine braces herself, attempts an obligatory shoulder shimmy, grimaces, and plows through the dancers. She finds Chelsea twirling with a tall, red-headed girl. She pulls Chelsea away. I'm gonna head out. I don't think we'll find our guy here. But it's so early. You never know. My bed is calling. Fine. I've given up looking anyway. You deserve a break. Enjoy your night. Do the dancing and having fun thing. Chelsea grins and nods her head to the red-headed girl, who is now twerking on the floor. What do you think? Cute, right? I gave you my keys, didn't I? Yeah. I'll come back to get you. Just call me. I'll get a ride. No worries. Are you sure you don't want to come with? The night is young. The dancing has just begun, and I want digits. Elaine looks at Chelsea with the eyes of a protective mother. Oh, stop. I'm fine, I promise. I haven't had too much to drink, and I'm done drinking for the night anyway. Well, text me as soon as you leave. I'll wait up. Get some rest, sleepy laney. Love your face. Chelsea kisses Elaine on both cheeks. Elaine and Aphrodite leave Splendor. Elaine sits in Chelsea's car in the Splendor parking lot. She checks her phone without starting the car. She reads a message from the mother. You should come home. Visit Aunt Ellen. Your brother misses you. Elaine rolls her eyes at Aphrodite. My brother does not miss me. How is your Aunt Ellen? Fine, I'm sure. But Mom's worried. Elaine types a response to Sue. When? I don't have a lot of time. Immediately after the text is delivered, Elaine's phone rings. Mom? Hi, sweetie. What are you doing up so late? Mom, you're up late too. I know. Your father is having some of his golf friends over for poker night. Yikes. It's not so bad. Faint through the phone, Elaine hears clinking glasses and grown men arguing. Then something shatters. I apparently can't talk long. Men. Anyway, about you coming home. I don't know if I'll have time, Mom. Just for a weekend, you can make the time. For family. Elaine has yet to even start the car. She looks out the window as she talks to Sue. She watches as the door to Splendor swings open. Here comes your, I don't know, maybe, lover boy. With Chelsea? What? Now, I didn't say anything about bringing Chelsea. In the parking lot, Chelsea holds Brian's arm, and the two walk together. Something isn't right. What's not right, Elaine? I can never follow what you're saying. For once, if you could just say, yes, mother, I will do as you ask. I think I could die a happy woman. Chelsea trips, and Brian pulls her up, nearly dragging her. Mom, I have to go. Elaine, we aren't done. Elaine hangs up on Sue. She tries to open the car door, but it's locked. Shit! Elaine fumbles, trying to unlock Chelsea's car. It's dark. She pushes the window button twice before realizing it's not the lock. She swings the door open and tears out of the car into the parking lot. At the far end of the lot... Elaine sees Brian close the passenger side door of a red truck. Hey! Brian doesn't hear her. He gets in the driver's seat. Hey! Stop! Elaine runs as the truck engine grumbles to life. Aphrodite is beside her. I can't see the license plate number. That enormous chariot is in the way. 
The truck is out of the parking lot before they get close. Elaine sprints back to Chelsea's car. Her breathing is heavy by the time she gets there. She drops the keys on the ground. Swiftly, Elaine. I'm trying! Elaine picks up the keys and gets into the car. She starts the engine and reverses immediately. Aphrodite is jerked by the sudden movement. Elaine switches into drive, gears grinding, and barrels out of the parking lot. I think they went left. I think they went right. Elaine turns right. Or perhaps left. I need my phone. Aphrodite looks around the car. Where's my phone? Here, here. Elaine dials 911. He was so nice. I knew something had to be off with him. Maybe they were hungry. Went for pizza. This is all my fault. Even new friends get pizza together. Aphrodite is cut off as someone answers Elaine's call. Hi. Yes, my name is Elaine Harper. I'd like, um, my friend has been taken. Where, um, do you mean where she was taken to or where she was taken from? We will find her, I have no doubt. Right, from Splendor, the gay club on Carroll? Elaine blows past a stop sign. Another car honks. Chelsea, her name is Chelsea Wu. She's 5'2", she has short hair, um, she's Chinese, well, of Chinese descent. By a man, a young man, his name was Brian, I think. I don't know the license plate number, but he's driving a red truck. Oh, I don't know him well. Well, we had just met. No, she didn't want to go with him. Yes, I'm sure. They're saying, calm down, ma'am, aren't they? I can't calm down. I really think she might be in danger. Please, and help. Elaine looks back to Aphrodite. Where could he take her? To his house? The bookstore. He lives across from the Rereads bookstore on 4th. I'm going there now. Elaine hangs up. Athena yet again. Minutes later, Elaine drives down 4th Street. The suburban houses look identical to each other. A streetlight blinks out. This is all my fault. You did not cause this to happen. If I'd gone with him, he wouldn't have targeted her. No, he'd have targeted you, and no one would know. Elaine slows as she nears the bookstore. Do you see his truck? What is your plan once you find them? Is that it? Elaine spots a red truck parked in front of a small house with a gray front door. She drives slowly up to it. She parks. Her hands are sweating and her heart is pounding. Call the police. Tell them the exact address. Elaine finds her phone and calls 911 to confirm that the truck is at the house. She gives them the exact address. Then she sits in her car, frozen. Chelsea. What if he's hurting her? I have to get inside. Aphrodite reaches over Elaine and lays her hand on the horn. Elaine's heart backflips off a tightrope. Do what I did at the Judgment of Paris. Okay. Okay, I can do this. Any game can be won by seduction. Use your beauty. Give him attention. Tempt him with love. The door to the house opens. Brian steps out. He squints at Elaine's car. He starts walking toward it. Elaine turns stone still. He is not Medusa. Find your strength. Brian knocks on the car window. Elaine takes a breath. She rolls down the window and smiles at him. Brian. Elaine, right? What are you doing here? You said you lived across from the Rereads. I do. And I never got your number. You drove here for my number? Well, yes. Partially. But I also thought, maybe... Elaine bites the corner of her lower lip and looks up at Brian. 
Ooh, well done. He rests his hand on the car window and ducks down so that they're face to face. I thought maybe you might want to invite me in? Physical touch. Be impossible to deny. Elaine brushes an eyelash off Brian's cheek. His eyebrows rise. You daring, sultry minx. I didn't know you had it in you. I don't meet a lot of boys who read. And that's the only reason you're here? Why else, silly? What about your friend? I thought you were out together. Oh, I don't know. She's probably still at Splendor. Yeah? And I left the horrid crowd of people there to be here, so... So... Elaine leans forward to whisper in Brian's ear. What do you say? Don't wait for his answer. Choose it for him. Elaine exits the car. Brian is taken aback. She starts walking toward his house. Brian snaps to attention and jogs to catch up with her. Uh, look, you seem like a cool girl. I'd really like to, you know, see where things go. But now's not the best time. Elaine opens Brian's front door. I'd really prefer we do this another time. Elaine is inside. She scans the room. Dark. Only one lamp on. Clean. Papers on the coffee table carefully stacked. Beside the papers, a hardcover copy of Beyond Good and Evil by Friedrich Nietzsche. You're studying Nietzsche? Among others. Really, you should go. And what do you think? Of... Of Nietzsche. Elaine picks up his book and leafs through it. Brian positions himself in front of the hallway to the bedroom. Elaine finds an underlined passage in the book. She reads it aloud. In the end, things must be as they are and have always been. The great things remain for the great. She scrunches her nose in disgust. She tosses the book. It lands on the kitchen table. Aphrodite picks it up and continues reading. I don't care much for Nietzsche. Aphrodite quotes a passage. Christianity gave Eros poison to drink. He didn't die of it, certainly, but degenerated to vice. Nietzsche had interesting views on religion. Well, I don't conform to a specific religion. How do you determine what's moral and immoral? What's good and what's bad? You conform to a group. We all do. Look, this really is fascinating. Shared interests aren't working. Play to the weakness of his sex. And I don't want to be rude, but maybe we can pick this up some other... Aren't you going to offer me a drink? That is pretty standard protocol for... for whatever it is we're doing. Yeah. What exactly is that? Brian, I want a drink. I thought you didn't drink. I never said that. You said that and assumed. And trust me, we'll have a lot more fun when I have a couple drinks in me. Elaine winks in a way she hopes is flirty and not creepy. Aphrodite nods approvingly. Brian stands in the hallway a few minutes longer before going to the kitchen. Elaine looks around the room, trying to act casual. What do you have? Uh, what you got? Some Jack. End of a bottle. Brian opens the fridge and peers in. Elaine walks near the kitchen. On the table, she sees a small medicine vial and a box of syringes. Elaine swallows and tries to keep her breathing calm. I have a couple beers, but it's nothing fancy. Ugh, beer. The Jack, then. Brian closes the fridge. On the fridge door, held in place by a magnet... A tarot card. 
Not exactly the best selection. On the tarot card, three swords. Hey, you know what? On the three swords, in marker, gender symbols. Why don't you run out and get us something? A circle with an arrow. Male. Stabbed. Some wine, maybe? Or, or whatever you like. A circle with the cross. Female. Stabbed. Elaine's breath comes in gasps. I'm buying. Just go out and pick it up. I'll wait here and straighten up the place. Aphrodite glides to Elaine and whispers in her ear. You know why he wants you to leave. I, I, I don't... I don't know. We should... Uh... Remain calm. You have the power here. He is more nervous than you right now. He has so much to lose, and that's all he's thinking about. There's a drive through pretty close. Athena, warrior goddess. You don't even have to get out of here. Elaine your... strides toward Brian confidently. She backs him against the fridge before pressing her body against his. I don't want to drink anymore. Where's your bedroom? No, it's, it's a mess. Elaine tugs on his shirt. I don't care. But it's really not... I don't care. Elaine pushes in even closer, draping herself over Brian. Her right hand breaches past him. What about the couch? It's really... Elaine's fingers close on the handle of a knife in Brian's knife block. She jumps back from him and points the knife towards him. Where is she? Whoa, whoa, whoa. What are you talking about? Chelsea? Brian's facial expression doesn't change. I know she's here. Look, you're talking nonsense. Have you hurt her? Chelsea! Brian's eyes dart to the knife, then to the knife block with the other knives. Watch out, Elaine. Don't even think Brian about- Brian lunges, but not for the knives. He grabs the Nietzsche book and hurls it at Elaine. She instinctively raises her hand to shield herself. Brian charges forward <gasps> and slams into her. Elaine tumbles backward, <gasps> dropping the knife and hitting her head hard enough to see spots. Brian leaps on her, pinning her wrists. Elaine is slow to react. God damn it. Get off of me. Oh, fuck! What the fuck am I supposed to do now, huh? Elaine comes fully to her senses and struggles. Brian tries to hold her down, but she drives her knee into his stomach. <laughs> he gasps for air, and Elaine shoves him away and stands. She stumbles to the kitchen table and grabs the vial and the box of syringes. Remember, Chelsea. Elaine hurries to the door Brian had been blocking earlier. She opens it. Bedroom. On the bed, Chelsea. Asleep. Her forearm is stretched out. Drawn onto her skin with marker. Three swords. Two gender symbols. Stabbed. Elaine locks the door behind her and then runs to Chelsea's side. Shakes her. Chelsea doesn't move. Chelsea! Chels, it's me. It's Elaine. I need you to wake up now. Chels, please wake up. You need to protect her. She needs you. Elaine fumbles with the syringes and manages to pull one out. She pokes it into the vial and fills it with the liquid. The banging stops. He's coming in. Brian kicks in the weak lock and bursts into the room. Elaine holds the syringe so that her hand blocks it from view. You don't need to hurt us. Sit down on the bed and let me think. Brian closes the door behind him. He's sweating and his eyes dart wildly. He moves to the window beside the bed, looks out the curtains. Shuts it tightly closed. Elaine pulls a coat of anger over her quivering fear. She backs away from the bed toward the door. How can you do this to people? Where's your human decency? Where is theirs? What, is this some Nietzsche shit? Good and evil have no inherent meaning? No. Nietzsche suggests that we be flexible with our interpretations. I don't believe in multiple interpretations. I believe in one truth. So what's your goal here? 
bully everyone else into pretending your truth is the real truth? See, that's where you've got it twisted. They want me to change my truth. They want me to act like everyone can just decide on a whim what their gender is, what their orientation is, and what? I should accept that? I should change my life to comply with their identity crisis? I refuse. People don't choose their sexual orientation on a whim. It's an inherent part of their being. Bullshit. There is a system to the world. There is a biological nature to the way humans are born and interact. I'd like for him to meet my son, Hermaphroditus. Half man, half woman, and as natural as you or as me. Yours, yours, yours. Why does the rest of the world have to operate according to your truth? Your truth is small-minded and egotistical, and quite frankly, fucked. You shouldn't have come here. And I would like Hermaphroditus to shoot an arrow straight into his dark and poisoned heart. Brian takes a step toward Elaine. He's between her and Chelsea. Elaine looks past him and opens her eyes wide. Now, Chelsea! Brian whirls around defensively. Chelsea is still completely unconscious. He turns just in time to see Elaine run at him and stick the syringe into his arm. Ah! She injects him. Brian grabs her wrist. Ah! <laughs> that was vitamin B, you dumb bitch! You think I leave the benzo on my kitchen table? Do not give up. Time is all you need. Elaine struggles, but Brian holds tight. Let me go! Shut up and let me think! Hey, please! Come to the door! Help! We're in here! Brian rams Elaine back against the wall and covers her mouth with his hand. Remember Ida Wells. Elaine sinks her teeth into Brian's palm. He cries out in anger. Ah! Help us! Brian throws Elaine onto the bed and bolts out of the room toward the back door. Elaine grabs Chelsea's limp hand and holds on tight. Chels, we're okay. We're okay. We're together now. We're okay. Elaine and Chelsea spend until the next afternoon in the hospital. They are released with bruising, but are otherwise unharmed. They spend the rest of that night talking with the police, who apprehended Brian two blocks from his house. They finally get back to Chelsea's apartment late at night. Chelsea rummages through a drawer until she finds a nightlight. Elaine curls up under the covers on Chelsea's bed. Chelsea plugs the nightlight into the wall. It projects a constellation of stars onto the ceiling. Chelsea turns out the overhead light and crawls into the bed with Elaine. They stare at the still stars. You haven't used this light since 8th grade. I haven't been scared of the dark since 8th grade. The girls are quiet for a few minutes. Hey, thanks, by the way, for, you know, everything. You would have done the same for me, but with much more humor and finesse. You tried to seduce him. Physically. I also tried to give him a potentially lethal dose of benzodiazepine. Yeah, yeah. But you tried to seduce him? <laughs> Physically! You! I would do anything for you. <laughs> would you have actually drank alcohol if he'd given it to you? Uh, even I have my limits. Chelsea squeezes Elaine's hand. After a few moments, Elaine lightly squeezes back. Sorry if I've been kind of hot and cold with you lately. You've had a lot going on. We both have. Do you ever worry our friendship is off balance? Do you? They are quiet again. I need to visit Aunt Ellen. Oh. You should come. We could make it a road trip. I can drive. You can DJ. 
It might be good for us. Get away from this madness. Clear our heads. We earned a vacation. Maybe. Chelsea rolls onto her side to face the wall, away from Elaine. She pulls the covers up to her chin. Elaine rolls over, too, in the opposite direction. She faces Aphrodite, who lounges in an armchair. Aphrodite points at the ceiling. There's Pisces. I put those stars in the sky, you know. I wanted to thank the sea for giving birth to me. Elaine struggles to keep her eyes open. See how they connect? Two fish swimming in opposite directions, held together by a string. Elaine closes her eyes as sleep takes her. Chelsea stares at the wall, shivering. She pulls the covers tighter. Dayton Writers Movement presents Unwritten. Executive Producers Chris Burnside, Megan Burnside. Producers Anna Adamy, Carrie Zahn. Lead Writers Anna Adamy, Chris Burnside. Story by Anna Adamy, Chris Burnside, Amanda D., Joey Ferber, Jana Gomes, Kathy Holt, Cece Hutton, Stephen Kallenberg, Grace Poppy, Tavis Taylor. Assistant Director, Megan Burnside. Sound Engineer, Dan Seavers. Theme Song by Joey Ferber, Kelsey Mills, and Ian Mortensen. For more Unwritten, visit our website at unwrittenpodcast.com. This is Jordan Lopez, voice of Chelsea Wu. I wanted to thank you all for listening and remind you to rate and review Unwritten on iTunes. Every review helps us show higher in the rankings. Be sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram and Twitter at DWM Presents. Thank you.